Blog Talk Radio. Hello, you're listening to the Clear Money Program's online radio show. And we'll be interviewing Ms. Barb Martin Morley of the Denver District Attorney's Office about identity theft today. I also want to mention that we're doing this show and our previous show on Monday and tomorrow's show on Wills and Trust as part of Money Smart Colorado Week. And you can find out more events, many of them free and open to the public, at MoneySmartColorado.com. I'm your host, Helen Gibson, Community Relations Coordinator at Denver Community Credit Union. Denver Community is a not-for-profit financial cooperative serving the people of the city and county of Denver. If you're interested in joining our cooperative or learning more about our Clear Money program, please visit our website, denvercommunity.coop. That's denvercommunity.coop. As mentioned, our expert today is Barb Martin-Worley of the Denver District Attorney's Office. Good morning, Barb. Good morning, Helen. Can you share with us uh, why the Denver District Attorney's Office is involved in identity theft? I'd be glad to, and thank you for asking me to be on the show, by the way. Oh, pleasure. Uh, It is, and it continues to be one of our uh, fastest-growing kinds of frauds that we're getting in the office, both in terms of the number of calls we receive and also the cases that we are prosecuting. Okay. Uh, And so your office deals with identity theft all the time. At what point uh, do people contact your office about identity theft, right at the very beginning, or is this something where they're instructed to contact you by someone else? Uh, we, we try to do what we try to do is prevent it in the first place, and so um, we do presentations in terms of trying to do that kind of prevention. But we do have a fraud hotline, mm-hmm. and the fraud hotline is for any kind of fraud, not just identity theft. Um, by the way, that number is seven two zero nine one three nine one seven nine. So anyone who um, believes they have been defrauded that way can call our fraud hotline. We can instruct them further on where to go, but there's also other kinds of resources out there um, to protect people and that they should know about in terms of prevention. Okay, and we're definitely going to talk about some of those today on this show, but you mentioned you can go out and do prevention classes in other places. If I'm a member of an organization and I'm interested in that for my organization, how do I learn more about that? I would be your contact person. I am the Director of Consumer Fraud Protection um, and the Economic Crime Unit in our office. All they need to do is to contact me. Hopefully it can be any group. I will go out and uh, put together the presentation in addition to wonderful packets that we have on prevention and then also what to do with ID theft recovery. Okay, and how do they contact you? Um, you can contact me through my, my number is 720-913-9036 or my email, which is easy. It's bmw at denverda.org. Excellent. So now let's kind of dive into identity theft. What do you people mean when they say identity theft? I've heard a lot of different definitions, so I thought we should start with actually defining it. I think that's a a great question. It's really anyone that uses someone else's personal or financial information for their benefit. They're, in essence, using your identity um, to perpetrate a fraud. 
It can be one time. It can just be the use of your credit card once. Or it can be a continuation of, of um, thefts because they have now gotten access not only to your credit card but to your bank routing, slip number, social security number, and so on. Okay, so a lot of people, I think, at least from what I hear, say that they avoid doing any transactions online because of identity theft. Do you think that that's a great idea, or where do you come down on that idea? Well, I I think I think what the best way to approach it is that yes, we do see online identity theft, usually phishing scams, these phony notices that come over email that a company, an alleged company, is going to cut off your credit or business if you don't give them information. But there's also internal identity theft that's happening, internal employee theft where maybe these um, programs get hacked, the computers get hacked into, and those accounts are stolen. Obviously, the consumer has less control over the latter. But the common ways, the the common ways people really are having their identity stolen are very low-tech ways. Hmm. Like what's low-tech? The primary source are purses or billfolds. Oh, that's actually the number one way you can have your identity stolen. So I shouldn't leave it in my pew when I go up for communion? <laughs> Absolutely, because churches are one of the most popular sites where identity gets stolen because people let their guard down. Oh, okay. Um, the other common ways that are also low-tech ways is is uh, watching what you put in your trash. You want to cross-shred any financial information before you dispose of it. You do not want to leave your mail out, outgoing mail for pickup. You want to drop your mail, um, preferably in at the post office itself, mm-hmm. and and not even the blue post box. Uh, post. Why boxes. not the blue post boxes? <laughs> what we're seeing primarily is that ID theft is still highly associated with substance abuse, primarily methamphetamine. If you're addicted, you're desperate you're going to to take the path of least resistance. And so mail boxes are a great source for someone who's addicted and needs a fix, needs that money. They'll even unbolt these blue boxes and and take them, put them in their garage and go through mail. Now that even happens in front of post office. um, Right, right in front of the post offices. Yes. Oh, man. Or they, they put string in and mm-hmm. actually fish the mail out. So it's easy it's an easy fix. Do not mm-hmm. leave your or leave your mail in those boxes. Okay, so you talked about purses and wallets and then the mailboxes, but obviously if I'm mailing a letter to my parents that says something about my week and it doesn't have personal information in it, that's not as dangerous. What are things that we could do in our purses and our wallets? or not carry in our purses and our wallets to make us less of a victim if they do get taken. Yeah, the, the the most important thing is you don't want to carry your social security number. You don't want to uh if you don't have to and there's there's reason there's a lot of reasons why you really don't have to carry social security numbers anymore. Um you certainly want to watch your what you're doing with your credit cards. Um if you have a bank if you're carrying a checkbook, maybe just carry the amount of checks you think you're going to need for that day 
and a separate register. Mm -hmm. Um, We still say pay your bills online. What you don't have control of is if, of course, an internal theft problem where the computer's hacked. Mm -hmm. But I can say that, you know, we're not seeing a lot of that in this office. That doesn't mean it's not happening. But what's way more common is that uh, people are just real lax about where they leave their financial information, like credit cards. Hmm. Um, And you mentioned, oh, keep going. No, I think that's the main thing. Okay, and you mentioned uh, cross-cut paper shutter. If I don't have one of those at home, is there ever, like, a drive or anything? Um, actually, there is one coming up. There's actually a shred-a-thon, you know, where you have the, the actual uh, vehicles that do the shredding. is right on site. And on Saturday, May 14th, we're going to be holding a shred-a-thon in conjunction with Channel 9. It's going to be at four different locations. Just to save time, I would encourage um, your listeners to go into the Denver uh, DA website and get more information on that. And that number is www.denverda.org. You can find out where those shredathons are going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but crush, you know, c- turning your your personal information into confetti is always ideal because even with just let's say a vertical shredder, mm-hmm. you can kind of piecemeal that information back together. And believe it or not, when we're when it's associated with a drug ring, especially. We see that's exactly what they're able to do. Okay. So, and if I was to look for a cross-cut paper shredder, because obviously for me, like if I, I don't, not very good at keeping things for a long time. Where about how much of a cost is that to actually get your own cross-cut paper shredder? Do you know? A cross shredder. The cost, you know, I guess it depends on what you think would be a minimal cost. But I'm thinking you can get some. You can get one in the vicinity of about a hundred or even less. Okay. At any office uh, store. Okay. A cross shredder. They're becoming way more common than just the vertical, the one-way shredder. Oh, excellent. No, I remember back when I was a legal assistant many, many, many years ago, I think we had a vertical shredder. I would guess that's changed in that office. <laughs> but, I would uh, hope so. Yeah, and yeah, I think that maybe if they shop around, they could probably get one for less than 100 considering how common they're getting. Right, exactly. So I suppose one way to avoid having all this personal financial information around is to not get a lot of junk mail that might say, like, you're pre-approved, all that sort of stuff. Right. How do I do that? Okay, for that information, there is actually, I'd like to say there's a single source for trying to eliminate that. Um, But you can greatly reduce it um, going through the Direct Marketing Association's website, should I give that to you right now? Sure. It's www.dmaconsumers.org. And if you there's a dollar fee, there's a form you can fill out online and what you're what you're basically doing is trying to eliminate the email and junk mail that comes through. Okay. That's, that's a single source. However, it may not be exhaustive in the kinds of mail that you're going to get. Another one that we see commonly that consumers can um, control is the amount of junk mail credit card offers that come in. 
Because with those credit card offers, there's these convenience checks. Mm -hmm. And you have been approved. If it says you've been approved, they've gone in, they've done a credit check, and yes, you've been approved. But when those things get in the in the trash, like convenience checks, um, mm-hmm. they also are, um, you know, that's like candy to someone who's trying to steal your identity. Right. Um, you can go on the back of your card, you can call that company and each credit card or each bank you have a credit card with and ask them to take your name off that uh, credit card offer list. Okay. So that's it's a little bit of work, but a lot of protection as far as those convenience checks coming with the credit card you're using. Exactly. Now, exactly. I've I've also heard of optoutprescreen.com. What does is that legit? What does that do? Opt-out is for the kind of telemarketing calls that you get and you want to be taken off um the do oh, the opt-out. I'm sorry. I'm thinking do not call list registry. Oh. That's for the the telemarketing calls that you get. Okay. In essence, um, that is what you're doing when you opt out. It's the same thing as the credit card, which you're doing when you call your credit card companies. You're opting out. And, in fact, that's the language you use to okay. do that. So we're talking one and the same of what I, the example I gave you with opting out of credit card offers. Yes, but the one with the credit card, that's specific for that credit card. And opt-out pre-screen is kind of like for pre-screening you for offers, right? Yeah, so there's there's um there's different mechanisms you can go through. Mm-hmm. If you do that with a company you are already affiliated with, um the greater assurance that that's going to happen. Right. If you're already affiliate, affiliated, I don't think pre-screening will help you at all. The no. opt-out pre-screen. No. But that's something if like they're looking to gather data on you. So, looking at identity theft again, I know that from a financial institution's point of view, no one should have any sort of credit issues before they turn 18 because credit should only be reported once you turn 18. But are children victims of identity theft? You know, they can be. We've not had a lot of calls like that in this office, but if they have a Social Security number. Um, Interestingly, more what we're seeing, and this is beyond identity theft, it may be just child protection issues in terms of child identity issues, is the information that children post on their social networking sites. Oh. And sometimes they're just not even thinking about it. They may be talking about their family members, where they live, mm-hmm. um, information that we know we know that it's big business if you are a perpetrator, an ID theft perpetrator, that you know, it's they have the time to go in and and look at all these social networking sites, mm-hmm. and in fact, that's where they're getting loads of information these mm-hmm. days. Is using so, the social networking. So, what type of things should you make sure your child's not posting? You know, information about the family, for instance, um, pictures they may post that may have the, a street address on the background. Again, okay. this is beyond identity theft. Mm-hmm. But it is a child protection issue, but identity theft can play in there too. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to give out names of your family, where they live, maybe even how old they are, mm-hmm. um, because because this is becoming, again, a real common way, not only that perpetrators get information, but um, 
certified fraud examiners who are trying to track people will actually also use those social networking sites because of the mm-hmm. wealth of information that's on them. Mm-hmm. So if I have a situation, going back to identity theft, where I think, like let's say I have a niece and I think my sister is using her uh, social security number to get credit cards in her under her credit uh, and my niece is only, you know, 10, is there anything I can do as someone outside of the family seeing this, or are my hands tied since I'm not the guardian? You know, you can always you can always report it. What okay. you can call our fraud hotline and talk about your suspicions, and then you know we we would probably not take a case because of the reasons that you're saying. However, we can walk you through what might be some avenues for you to pursue if you are concerned about this. Okay. Um, oftentimes it's just brainstorming other family members you may want to talk to, make certain that they're in the loop mm-hmm. about what's going on, just to have a second pair of eyes in terms of what's going on um, to protect both your niece and any other family members who may be within that parameter of also being victimized by that one person because we do see that as well. Okay. So to switch topics almost entirely, what about the lottery scams? Do you see them a lot and how do you know? We do see lottery scams a lot and particularly perpetrated against older adults. Okay. Um, you know, this is an easy one. With lotteries, you got to pay to play. Uh huh. So often you'll get a call out of the blue. Someone says, "Congratulations, Mrs. Wilson, you've just won." Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Well, you can be taken off guard, but the key element is: Did you you have to enter one in order to win? Okay. And with lotteries, you basically, if you've won, you're the one that's keeping track of the numbers when they're called. You're the one that has the ticket, the winning mm-hmm. ticket, which is documentation. Usually they'll have a phone number on the back where you call. If it's a legitimate lottery, mm-hmm. that's how it's done. But if you get a call out of the blue, you don't remember um, buying a ticket, or same with sweepstakes. You don't remember entering any sweepstakes. Mm-hmm. Assume it's a scam. You never know who's calling you out of the blue, regardless mm-hmm. of who they say they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as a safeguard, if you initiate the call, then you know who you're calling, and that's a different story. Okay. So when we talked about Crosscut Shredder, that all sounded good to me because I do shred stuff, and I shred it if I want to right as soon as it comes to my house because I actually have a shredder in my kitchen right where I put it, and uh, (laughs) otherwise it would never make it to the office. It would just build up on the counter. Uh, But I don't shred everything because some things I need to keep. What? I mean, what are my options then? Should I do I have to get a fireproof safe? Is it worth it to have that? You know, you of course could, but I think um the main things that are uh, that keep that that you would want to destroy if you're not using it or to keep locked up is mm-hmm. definitely social security numbers. And in fact, we tell people that if you're shopping and uh, anyone asks for your social security number, question them. Why do mm-hmm. they need it? Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't want to just give that out carte blanche to anyone. 
Okay. So you want to protect your, because you know you can always recover your identity, but you'll never get another social security number. That's why you have to really protect it. Uh, Same is true with credit cards, bank routing slips, um, even your birth date. If someone is desperate enough and they have your name and your birth date, they can probably go through public records, which Mm -hmm. is accessible online, and get enough information on you to be able to perpetrate a fraud, to be able to use your identity to get information. So, okay. um, and I think those are the big those, those are the big ones as to um, you know just to protect that kind of information. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing you can do um, in terms of protection is get in the habit of checking your monthly credit card and bank statements for any unauthorized use. I can't just leave those envelopes sitting there. You don't want to do that. And often people don't even know that they've had their identity stolen until they go to apply for a loan. And that's and so a little late. That's a little late. And so, you know, that the three credit report companies offer a free credit report. They won't do a free credit score, but they mm-hmm. will. You're entitled to a free credit report once a year. If you suspect that you've been defrauded, if you've had your identity stolen, you can run one free every three months by using those three different reporting companies. Okay. If you've never done that, you can do it online. If you've never done it, it gives you a wealth of information. Mm-hmm. And I was, I've heard something like eight out of ten have some sort of error on them. Have you heard a similar statistic? Um, I haven't, but if that were the case, you could always cross-compare with what the other companies are saying. Mm-hmm. It would be some way of, of checking that. Okay. And where in, did you say the website for that, if I want to go and get my free credit report, which website do I go to? Okay. Um, there, you know, the three credit companies, Experian, TransUnion, mm-hmm. and um, Equifax. If the... Equifax website is www.equifax.com. Mm-hmm. Experian's website is www.experian.com. Mm-hmm. And TransUnion is www.transunion, one word, T-R-A-N-S-U-N-I-O-N.com. Okay. And those are the three companies, and I can go to Annual Credit Report. You can also com. go to Annual, right, and that's the www.annualcreditreport.com. And that would hook me up with all three. If I wanted to do all three at once, it's probably a great way to go. Yeah. And they'll ask for my Social Security number, but I'm contacting them, so it's exactly. a little bit safer than if they contacted me and suddenly asked me. You've initiated the call, and that's and that's the difference. Excellent. So we've talked about a few different things in this show. What would you say if someone was going to today, start today, to keep themselves safer from identity theft, what would you say are the top three things they could do? Uh, control what they're doing with all their personal and financial information. Information okay. that, in a nutshell, and those are the things we talked about. Um, if you have to carry financial information, like we all do, like credit cards, cash, carry it in a travel pouch. Don't keep okay. it in your purse. Okay. If you carry a billfold, keep the billfold on the front pockets, not the back pockets. Okay. 
Um, one thing we didn't talk about is uh, vehicle theft, and that's where you can also get a wealth of information. Um, I know the Denver Police Department recommends that people not keep their proof of insurance or their in, um, vehicle registration in the glove compartment, in the car at all, because that's easy for someone to break in. Now they know where you live. Now they have that information. The law does not say you have to keep it in your car. It just has to be on you if you're ever pulled over. Oh, so, so we would keep it in your wallet instead? Right. Keep it in your wallet or your a travel pouch, body pouch, whatever you're wearing, that you're keeping your credit card information and so on in. Um, and then, of course, they send those duplicate copies. So, you know, if you're sharing your car with someone else or you can make a copy of that information, that's what they want It's just the information. It doesn't have to be the original. Okay. You may also, you know, when you, you want to, of course, keep, when you have your car serviced and you keep those um, papers, that is also good information. You may want to consider keeping all of your vehicle information and upkeep on it in a file in your house okay. and not have anything in your car that would identify you or your address to your car. Interesting. Okay, so protect the personal information and limit the personal information you're carrying on yourself. And okay. then uh, also the car. And what would you say would be the third choice that you would make? Uh, pay your bills online. Of course, you can't ever guarantee that those accounts won't be hacked, but uh, anything that eliminates having the mailbox a, situation. Mailbox, right, <laughs> not putting it out and, you know, taking the mail to the mailbox for sure. Mm-hmm. And I guess for me, I always think I might not be perfect, but every step in one direction is more protection. So maybe if I don't feel comfortable, you know, Moving the registration at this point, if I'd make one of those choices, I'm still safer than if I make none of those choices. Exactly. We know that, um, you know, there's very sophisticated ID theft techniques that are basically perpetrated by drug rings, the high-level thieves, basically. Mm -hmm. But we still know that, you know, if you do those four things, if you control what you do with your mail um, you cross-shred your trash before throwing it out. You don't carry information in a purse where it can be stolen or billfold, or you keep that information in your car. You will drastically reduce your risk of identity theft. And what if I do have identity theft or I suspect it? Where do I turn? There are some really good resources um, for that. You can certainly call our fraud hotline. We can refer you on. The fraud hotline number, again, is 720-913-9179. The Colorado Bureau of Investigation has just put on a great hotline um, service for consumers, and that they, they are adept at being able to help people recover their identities or lead them to resources. Their number is 1-855-443-443. 3489 or if you want to get your information online the Federal Trade Commission has a great website and their number is w their website is www.consumer.gov/idtheft okay it will tell you how to recover your identity uh and the steps that you need to go through but that was consumer.gov/backslash ID theft, all one word? All one word, yes. Okay. Yes. 
And, um, you know, those are great resources for anyone. If you have your purse stolen, credit card stolen, even if there's no evidence that you've had your identity theft, your identity stolen, always call and get a police report. Always cancel your credit cards. Mm -hmm. Um, Always always call your credit union and let them know. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Because the sooner you report a stolen card, the more protections you have. As far as if they go and use your debit card like crazy, you want to let them know right away, which goes back to your point of reading those statements every month. Or if you're online, looking at it once a week and checking it out and making sure that nothing crazy is going on. Right. If you if you can report it right away, a lot of credit card companies will not hold you to any uh, charge beyond $50 and sometimes no charge if you report that right. immediately. Zero liability. Well, right. that's awesome. Uh, we have had a half hour of great information. Is there anything we have about a minute left that you want people to know before this show ends? Just to keep in mind, again, that the thieves who are stealing identities, they're taking the path of least resistance. And they're doing that because we allow, we have lax behaviors about um, leaving this information in our purses. You know, we don't want quite watch that. If we can tighten up our practices there, again, we will greatly reduce our risk. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us, and thank you to our listeners for joining us for this session on identity theft as part of uh, our Clear Money program and also as part of Clear, uh, excuse me, not Clear Money, it is part of our Clear Money program, but also part of Money Smart Colorado. And the website for other events is moneysmartcolorado.com for this week. And please join us again next time. Uh, tomorrow we have a show on wills and trusts, so that should be exciting too. And thank you, uh Uh, Ms. Barb Martin-Worley, again, of the Denver District Attorney's Office for being here. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye.